Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Good morning. Excited to be with you guys today. Hey, this morning, I want to take a look at the life of Joseph as a picture for us, the church today. So a little recap on who Joseph is. Joseph is typically known for his colorful robe uh, and that he had a lot of dreams of ruling over his brothers, even though he was the youngest brother. And his brothers didn't like him too much for that. So they sold him into slavery, as brothers do when they get upset with you. So Joseph ends up being a slave, but even in, as a slave, he is faithful to God. And he is promoted in Potiphar's house. He's given administrative authority. He's ruling over everything. And he is young. He's good looking. He's organized. And Potiphar's wife gets a little thirsty for him and tries to come on to him. And Joseph is a good, godly man of God. So he rejects her. He flees. He has nothing to do with it. Uh, And Potiphar's wife is upset. Uh, She's hurt. So she wrongfully accuses Joseph and says, no, he was the one trying to come on to me. And Joseph is thrown into prison. So I'll stop there. There's more to Joseph's story. But I want to take a look at how is Joseph's life a picture for us, the church, today? So like Joseph, we, the church, are on this earth to be faithful servants of God. And the church in history has held great administrative power and authority in the world, like how Joseph did in Potiphar's house. The world and its wickedness can be likened to Potiphar's wife. The world is trying to tempt and trying to tear down the church. And the world, like Potiphar's, the, the world, sorry, wants the church to twist to its own desires. And Joseph is a picture for us not to fall into the trap of trying to please the world, not to flirt or entertain Potiphar's wife. Like Joseph, we have to run and have nothing to do with wickedness. The world wants the church to compromise on sexuality, the holiness of marriage, the value of human life. That's just the start. And we need to remain faithful. The world wants you to doubt the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of God's word. And we need to not fall into the trap of Potiphar's wife. We need to not be deceived. God's word is not outdated. It's not traditional. It's not harsh or destructive. It's living and it's active and it's good. And like Joseph, we have to remain faithful to God's word. And it will mean that we will be wrongfully accused. It will mean that the world will paint a negative report about who the church is, like how Potiphar's wife did to Joseph. But when it does, we don't need to worry because God will use his church and he promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Our job is to not give up in the face of compromise. Joseph did not give up. Can you say to your neighbor, don't give up? Even in prison, Joseph did not give up. God is, uh, God is faithful to Joseph. His hand is still on his life and he causes Joseph to succeed wherever he is. And God in the same way is faithful to his church. In every place, in every situation, God causes his church to have favor. God is with his church and he will cause his church to succeed. The church has survived persecution after persecution since the moment that it started. 
Nero was a Roman emperor about 64 AD who was known to be one of the most brutal and savages, uh, savage persecutors of the church. He is most commonly thought of to have been the person who persecuted Paul and Peter. The church was only a few thousand when he was persecuting hundreds and hundreds of Christians. This is the church, Rome. This is the church that Paul wrote the letter of Romans to. It dwindled down to only a couple of hundred people, yet Nero did not succeed in ending the church. God causes his church to succeed. Tell your neighbor, don't give up. See, Joseph, he could have seen his ministry as over. He could have hated his siblings. He could have hated humanity. He could have hated all the systems and given up. But instead, Joseph became the best prisoner. He was the best slave. And he saw God's hand on his life in every situation. Joseph didn't give up. And because of Joseph's persistentness and his trust in God, God is faithful to him. And Joseph ends up being called upon by Pharaoh into Egypt to help Pharaoh. Pharaoh had exhausted his resources. His wise men and his magicians were of no help to him. But, but an obscure and unknown prisoner was. God has a way of using people who don't give up. And like Joseph, we need to make a commitment that we also will not give up, that we will not fall into the tent of Potiphar's wife, that we won't succumb to her desires, but instead that we will remain faithful. And that when we're falsely accused or a bad picture is painted of us, that we will remain faithful, that we will continue to serve others because we know that God is with us. And in every place and in every situation, God is with his church and causes us to succeed. Like Joseph, if we remain faithful, we will end up being called back upon to comfort those who are disturbed, bring truth, and we will be the ones to bring order and restoration back into our world. So personally, if you are in a prison, if there's somewhere where you feel stuck, where you feel forgotten about, like how Joseph was, maybe you're dealing with a job that you don't really love or siblings who uh, have sold you into slavery. If whatever you are up against, no, don't give up. God is not done with you. His hand is on your life and God will be faithful to you and cause you to succeed. The world will exhaust its resources. Its wise men and its magicians will be of no help and they will end up calling back upon Christians to bring order into their homes, into their governments, their school and their ways of life. It will be churches that make families, society and the world healthy. It will be churches that bring restoration and order. It will be Christians who teach the world how to have healthy marriages and that restore broken homes. It will be Christian men who will be fathers to the fatherless and Christian women who will be mothers to the motherless. It will be Christians who feed the hungry, provide shelter and make our cities beautiful places dedicated to God. It'll be faithful Christians who did not give up and it'll be faithful Christians who did not, churches who did not give up because God is with us and will cause us to succeed wherever we go. And at the end, God gets the glory. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So with all this in mind, I believe that this instruction in Hebrews is fitting for us today. Hebrews 12, verse one says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses like Joseph, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
Let us run with perseverance, not giving up the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who also didn't give up, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Tell your neighbor, don't give up. Thank you so much, Sophie. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Scott. And uh, yeah, it's just such an honor and a privilege to be able to speak to you this morning. Um, I just had something in my heart and encouragement for someone this morning. Jesus loves you. He is crazy about you. He's working in you and he's not going to leave you where he, where he found you. Let's just bow our heads and pray quickly. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for every person in this church. We thank you for their hearts. We thank you for your love for them. Father, thank you, Lord, that we live for your glory. Speak to us this morning, we pray, and help everybody understand my accent. In Jesus' name, <laughs> amen. Right, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 13, verse 3, and you can read with me. Jesus starts off by saying, listen. A farmer went out to plant some seeds, and he scattered them across his field. Some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. Since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns and grew up, fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Jesus starts again by saying, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last very long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing in God's word. The seed that fell among the, amongst the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. I find it interesting that in this passage, Jesus starts both of them with the word listen. What makes you think he's trying to tell us something important this morning? If you're taking notes, here are a few things I'd like you to note. The soil is our heart's condition. It's the condition of our heart. The seed mentioned here is the word of God. What you'll notice is that even on the pathway, the hard ground, the seed was considered planted. So this applies to every single one of us sitting here today. The Lord wants to work 
in the ground of our hearts, whether you are hard, rocky, thorny, fertile, it's all for us. In Jesus' words, listen, this is for you. In the parable, Jesus mentions three areas that our hearts can be compromised, resulting in no fruit. Firstly, this person lacks understanding. They don't fully take time to know who God is, what Jesus came to do, and how this applies to their life or to eternity. The Bible says in Philippians, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need to take our understanding of the word and of Jesus seriously. We need to behold him with reverence as our life depends on it, because it does. The next person allows their emotions to dictate who God is to them. They receive the word joyfully, it says, but at times, when it gets tough, their joy quickly runs out. And their relationship with God does not seem worth it to them. Their version of God and who he is is actually directly influenced by the highs and the lows of their life. When things are great, God is amazing and he's so, so good. And when things are bad, it's why is he doing this to me? The third person puts their own desires above God's desires. They may love God and be in relationship with him, but they prioritize the desires desires of the world above the will of God for their lives. The Bible says that we can't serve two masters. Either we'll love one or we'll hate the other one. And ultimately, this person chooses their own well-being over what God has called them to do. Jesus warns us in his word, and he said, what good is it to gain the world, but to forfeit your soul? If you're like me, the first question is, okay, Scott, like, what do I got to do now to get this, this soil good? What do I got to do to get it fertile? How do I sort my heart condition out? I want to be careful to remind you this morning that this isn't about trying harder. It's not about being good. It's not about jumping through hoops. It's simply about putting Jesus first in our lives. You see, God wants the glory. That is what he wants from us. Everything that Jesus did in his ministry was to the glory of the Father. His entire purpose was to reflect that glory back to God. And if we're called to be like Christ, we must do the same. Jesus explains, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and you prove to be my disciples. You see, it's all about giving the glory to God. I'm going to give you another three quick points that impact the condition of our hearts and ultimately help us bring glory to God. We glorify God by seeking his will. We need to learn to see things how Jesus sees things. Our hearts need to be conformed and shaped to the things that move his heart. What does he love? Who does he love? What does he desire? What makes him happy? What breaks his heart? We need to know these things. We have to open our eyes up to the people around us and to the world, to love and to serve others and be passionate about them because that is who Jesus is passionate about. How do we see God? Do we see him through our own lenses, our own perspective? Do we see Jesus, the Jesus that we are comfortable with, rather than aligning ourselves with the Jesus of the Bible? Secondly, we glorify God by understanding who he is. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
What is our understanding of who God is and who Jesus is? Do we know his true character? Do we understand him? Our understanding of Jesus, is, of Jesus determines how we relate to him and how we are in relationship with him. We need to know him for who the Bible says he is and not through our own crooked perspective. All too often we make him fit into the version of who we think he should be rather than us becoming the version of who he is. Finally, we glorify God by listening and obeying. Loving Jesus means we must listen to his words and listening means we have to be obedient and do what it says. We show that we love God by being fully surrendered to him in obedience. The Hebrew word pronounced Shema means to hear and to listen. But it also means an active listening and obedience. So we can't simply hear and not do. Our prayer needs to be, Father, help me know your voice and give me that heart of obedience. John 14, 22, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home within him. Okay, so what about the fruit? What about the, the seed and the plant that's mentioned in the verse? How do we produce that? The, the kicker, the interesting thing here is that it's not up to us to produce the fruit. And often we're so focused on just producing the fruit. We see in Scripture that the fruit is the thing that glorifies the Father, but it is Him who does all the work to produce it in us. He's the one who plants, He waters, He grows, and simply by remaining in Him, by being available, by being soft, by being fertile, He uses us the dirt and the soil to bring glory back to himself. John 15, 5 says, The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. And incredibly, it's, it's Jesus through the help of the Holy Spirit that allows us to grow and produce this fruit. You see, we are in him and he is in us, just like the seed is in the soil there together. It's not something that we can do alone. It's simply because we remain in him. He's able to use us and produce a harvest through us 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. And he does it all for his glory. It's all about him. To God be the glory. Amen. Thanks, Scott. And hi, everyone. My name is Dave. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Do you ever find that you are being told how you should act or what you should do? Or how many times in the past two or three years have you had people come to you with a really strong opinion of what you should be doing with your life? How do we know what's right when people around us might have strongly opposing views on what right is? Today, I'm going to talk about those questions. And I'm going to talk about what I had thought was the lamest piece of the armor of God. In Ephesians 6, it says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I don't know about you, but most of those make sense to me, right? If you're in a battle, you need a helmet, you need a sword, you need a shield, breastplate of righteousness. Yeah, there's a lot of organs in there that you need to protect. Feet equipped with, right, with readiness. It's not the most exciting, but all you need is eight hours at West Ed during Christmas to know how important your feet are for what you're trying to do in your life. But what is up with the belt? How does a belt turn the tide of battle? Why does the belt make it onto the list as something that we should be equipped with in the armor of God? I learned recently that in the Greek, what they meant when they said the belt of truth is actually translated as gird up your loins with truth. Those are terms we don't use very much today, but they made sense in Jesus's time because they'd walk around with these long robes that went all the way down to their ankles. It's great for day-to-day life, but when I need to be ready, when I need to attack, when I need to, af- to defend, they would gird up their loins, they'd pull them up, and using either a belt or by tying their robes, they'd tie them about their waist so that they're free to lunge and move and do whatever you need to be to be ready, prepared, and active. And we see examples of this in the Old Testament. When, Jesus is about to, or when God is about to deliver the Israelites from Egypt, he tells them, like, get ready, you're leaving tonight. And he says, eat in this manner with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and eat in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And then in 1 Kings, there's a question. Who's the real God? Is it Baal or is it God? And after God sends down fire from heaven to prove that it's him, there's, and after there's been a drought for three years, the skies open up and the rain starts to pour. And King Ahab, who's on Baal's side, has to jump in his, in his chariot to flee the rain that's coming. And this is what it says in 1 Kings. It says, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah... And he girded up his loins and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. He outran the chariot. And so we see that girding up your loins means to be prepared, to be ready for action, to be on your guard, to be ready to be attacked, to be ready to attack. And, we're, and we are told that we should gird up our loins with truth. And I don't know about you, But sometimes I get caught up in all of these ideas about how I should be living my life. Dave, you need a variable rate mortgage. Dave, you should have had a fixed mortgage. Dave, drive an electric car. No, drive an F-150. You should be your own boss. Actually, here's how you get a job. Here's how you quiet quit that job. You should vote for this person. You should ignore this person. You should trust this person. The key to happiness is early retirement. No, it's good food. No, it's a big house. No, it's a tiny house. No, it's fitness. No, it's friends. No, it's vacations. No, it's time outdoors. No, it's money. And in my life, at least, I feel like God is just saying, enough. My child, who I love, you are in a battle. You're wearing the helmet of salvation bought with the blood of Jesus. You're carrying a sword and a shield, and I'm walking around with my robes down to my ankles. And when someone tells me what I should be doing with my life, where I need to defend, I can't because my legs are caught. 
When those flaming arrows of the enemy come and I need to put up my shield to defend myself, I can't because my legs aren't free to move. And when God steps forward ahead of me with a victory that he's prepared in advance, I'm caught flat-footed and unprepared for what he has for me. But we're told to gird up our loins with truth. If you abide in my word, this is Jesus, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what is truth? In John 1, it says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. For us to know the truth, we have to know Jesus. When Jesus was preparing his disciples for his death, his burial, and his resurrection, Thomas asks him this question. He says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? That's how I felt last two, three years. I don't know where I'm going. How do I know the way? And Jesus says this. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. And then later, right before he's crucified, he's before Pilate. Pilate actually asked this question, what is truth? Right before that, this is what Jesus says. He says, for this purpose, I have been born. And for this, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So for us to know the truth, we have to know Jesus because Jesus both points towards the truth and he is the truth. The good news is, though, that we have a helper. We do not have to go and do that on our own. Jesus talks of the Holy Spirit and he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Not even some of the truth. He will guide you into all the truth. And so the truth is knowing Jesus and walking with him by the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? Walking in the spirit. It means spending time in the word of God and learning what he says is right and what's true. It means bringing our problems and our concerns to God right away as they are occurring and seeking his help in the moment. It means confessing our sins and thanking him for his forgiveness. It means praying over scripture and his promises and saying that if it's true here in the Bible, then it's true for me as well. It means celebrating joyful moments of our life with God and with thanksgiving. And it means seeking him for comfort when we encounter pain and loss. And what's even better is we get to trust him to do the work because he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He authors, he perfects. He who has begun a good work in you will carry it through to completion. He begins, he carries it through. And so if we're girded up with truth, we become free to be ready, to be active and prepared. We can make informed decisions based on the heart of God and his will for our life. We get to act with confidence, knowing that we're acting in truth. And just like Elijah, who was prepared and ready when the skies opened up and the hand of God came upon him, we will be ready when the hand of God comes upon us to step forward in truth. Good morning, everyone. That was better than the first service. Good job, Russ. 
For those of you that don't know me, I'm Jeremiah. I've been married to my beautiful wife for 13 years. We have three kids, and we've been attending Celebration Church for over 10 years. So let me tell you the story of how I got here. I promise it all ties together at the end of the message. So let's start by playing a scenario. When the pastor sends you an email to ask you to speak on Sunday morning about what's impacted you lately, what would your response be? Excitement? Joy? Fear? Terror? My response was no. Zero hesitation. No thanks, I'm good. Appreciate the opportunity, but no. I felt ill-equipped. I felt inadequate. So I proceeded to tell my wife, Martha, and she says, well, it's up to you. But remember, earlier this year, you made a commitment to follow God when he called. (laughs) Well, another instance where she was right, again. So I prayed and I left it in God's hands. I get to church and talk to Joel and turns out I couldn't make the day of the rehearsal. So we agreed that it wouldn't make sense for me to share. Can we be honest? It is church after all. I was like, thank you, Jesus. I don't have to share. I was elated. Someone else could do it. I could stay in my comfort zone. It's so funny. People are praying for amazing things in their lives. I'm here thanking God for him closing the door on me speaking at a Sunday service. Then Joel sends me a message a few days later and says, we had to move the rehearsal day. Are you still open to being a part of it? (sighs) Not the message I was looking for. So here I am holding up my end of the bargain, God. So here's my preface. I'm not flashy, I'm not polished. I'm not a great speaker. I don't have a wild, outrageous story. But what I am is willing. So that's what you get. And if you don't like it, good thing service is almost over. (laughs) Or come next week for Pastor John Burns. So I honestly don't know where this is going to land. I'm leaving it up to God. I just pray that there's even one person that needs to hear this. So here it goes. I'm going to go where I don't want to go. I'm going to share things about myself that I don't share with many people. I'm going to be very vulnerable. It's not what I want to do, but it's what I feel called to do. Most people here probably don't know me or my story. Uh, You're probably most familiar with me standing behind a camera. I actually prefer it that way. It is much more comfortable for me to be anonymous. That is usually where I stay. I don't like to share, and I choose not to share. So I started to rack my brain about what to speak about. I kept thinking, uh, I kept trying to think of these really cool ideas or innovative thoughts. None of those came to me. And I realized that's just not me. But what did kept coming back to me was this topic. What is the one thing that has shifted everything for me in my life? Where did my life take a turn for the better? Not that I didn't have problems, but where I felt like I'd take them on with, take them head on with God by my side. And it's my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm guessing this isn't something new. Probably not the first time you've ever heard that at church. It's nothing wild. It's nothing outlandish, nothing earth shattering. But maybe it is that simple. So to get a better understanding of why this was so impactful, I'll give you a bit of a background of where I came from. I grew up in a God-fearing home. I grew up with a grandfather who converted from Buddhism to Christianity when he moved his family from Northern China to Taiwan. My grandfather was very wealthy where he was from, and he gave it all away to give his family a better life. He moved next door to a Christ-following family who led him to his faith. He started a church in Taiwan. He started two churches in Edmonton after the age of 68, not knowing any English. 
My father's a cancer survivor of 24 years. My father's a volunteer pastor at his church, which is one of the churches my grandfather started. He and my mom are some of the most amazing servers that I've ever met. They go do visitation with many people that have and are continuing to go through cancer and cancer treatment. They cook for people, they share, they spend time with people, they pray for people and they bring people to Christ. They do things that most people don't or won't do for others. What an incredible lineage I come from. And although I grew up with those incredible examples of people pursuing a relationship with Christ and having their actions be led by that, I didn't have that. Even though I had a great example, I was still so heavily influenced by poor past association and the culture of this world. I grew up hearing about this relationship with God my whole life and all the wonders that it did for people. I saw people live, this relation, live out this relationship in their own life, but I didn't have that. I didn't even know what it looked like. It was never real for me, and I felt so far away from that. I remember my teenage years vividly and carried this even until my early adulthood. I grew up with a really low self-image. I grew up with a selfish, self-centered mindset. I grew up with depression and thoughts of suicide. I grew up not knowing who I was or whose I was. I grew up thinking, what was the purpose of my life? I felt unworthy. I felt inadequate. I felt like a failure in every area of my life. I felt like I was fighting a never-ending, winless war against myself. Did I matter to anyone? I didn't even feel like I ever belonged to any group or people. I didn't let people get too close to me, fearing they would judge me if they knew what was going on inside my head. I struggled to navigate why I would wake up the next day. Have you ever felt like you don't belong? Have you ever struggled with the meaning of your own life? Have you ever felt lost? Have you ever felt hurt? Have you ever questioned if God even cared? Have you given up? For so many years of my life, those questions would haunt me. Until I met Jesus, until I invited the Holy Spirit into my life, until I met God, and until I began building a personal relationship with him. The single greatest decision I've ever made in my life was to invite him to be the Lord of my life. The close second is marrying my wife. So if you've ever felt any of those things, I understand. I feel you. But you don't have to feel that way any longer. Come to him. Come meet the maker of the universe, the one who cares for you. Enough for his son to come to earth to die for your sins, to give us an opportunity to be in relationship with him. I want to tell you, you belong. He welcomes you. Come home to him. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 and 29, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For so many years, I tried to fill a God-sized hole in my heart with everything else, but failed. Because nothing in this world was meant to fill that except for him. There is an infinite amount of disappointments in life, but this one relationship will never disappoint. My hope and my prayer is for those who have that tugging feeling in their heart to embrace that. I so desperately want you to feel what I feel now and experience what it looks like to start a journey of a relationship with Jesus Christ. A journey of peace, a journey of belonging, a journey of joy, and a journey of purpose. Like Ephesians 3, 18 to 19 says, to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, when I go through trials and challenges in life, which we all still will because we live on planet Earth, 
I don't ask if God is there. Instead, I ask the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to me and help me walk through those challenges. This decision to invite him into my life changed everything for me. I have no doubt that it'll do the same thing for you. But you have to take the first step in asking him to come into your life. He's a gentleman and he will not break down the doors to your heart. He will knock, but you have to let him in. In Revelations 3.20, it says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Don't wait for the right time. If you've been teetering on the fence or just feeling like it today, don't do what I did before and shut it out and continue to question those things that the enemy wants you to question. Don't wait because he's waiting for you. But I want you to understand that it's a relationship with Christ, not a one-night stand. Not just one and done, but a building of a relationship. Ask anyone that's built a successful relationship in their life. It takes work. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. It's a continual journey. Now it's up to you. What will you do? Thank you, guys. You know, Jeremiah left us on a really good question, and that's this. Are you living life on your own, or are you walking through life with Jesus? Have you really made him Lord and Savior over your life? And I know there's people in this room who haven't done that. We want to make sure you have an opportunity to do that today. In Romans, it says, For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And it's really important that that word says it's a gift. This is not something that you earn. This is not something that you have to achieve, but this is something that's freely given. The Bible says that God loved this world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And you can live that eternal life with God, with Jesus by your side. And the Bible says in Romans as well, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. So what I want us to do right now, I want us to all bow our heads with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give you a chance today that you can accept Jesus as Lord and Savior over your life. If you're just where you are right now, where you're standing, you can just slip your hand up real quick right now. I just want to know who we're praying with today with every head bowed. Just slip your hand up. Thank you, guys. Awesome. We're going to say this prayer together. You can put your hands down. And everybody in the room, we're just going to repeat after me and pray with all those today. Dear Jesus, today... I make you Lord over my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I accept Jesus into my heart as Lord and Savior. Today, I no longer live for myself, but I live to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we all put our hands together? Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message. <laughs>